It's lunchtime at Tim Hortons, and we're serving up a special deal just for you. Our new $5.99 lunch deal includes your choice of any lunch sandwich and a side of crunchy kettle chips. Because what's lunch without a little crunch? And the sandwich choice is all yours. Like a ham and Swiss, Chipotle chicken wrap, BLT, and more. Made to order just the way you like it. Tim Hortons' new lunch deal. Simple, delicious, and just $5.99. Now that's a good deal. Only at your neighborhood Tim's. U.S. only. Price and participation vary. Terms apply. Hi, listeners of the Latin American History Podcast. My name is David Cott, and I'm the host of the History of a Spain podcast. But please don't worry, because I'm not here to colonize anything today. All joking aside, the History of a Spain podcast is a bi-weekly podcast to learn about the history of my motherland in a chronological order. At the current rate, it will take me several years to reach the Spanish conquests of America, However, right now you can already hear about the history of Spain from the start and until the 9th century, with the Emirate of Córdoba, the Kingdom of Asturias, and the other states of medieval Spain. If you are into Spanish history, please subscribe to the History of Spain podcast and check out thehistoryofspain.com if you are eager to read some books on the Spanish Empire and other topics. Now, I leave it to you, Max. One of the factions, led by Olid, has just been destroyed, and the Panama faction has been staying out of things as it colonizes Nicaragua. The colony itself is struggling, as none of the leaders have put much effort into making it sustainable, and Cortes's representative, De Las Casas, has just taken control and started the long march overland to Mexico to inform him that he'd won. Cortes didn't know that, though. Sitting in Tenochtitlan, he'd received all sorts of reports about what was going on down there, and he was fed up. By the time De Las Casas and Gonzales left, he was already on his way down. Like them, he went overland, but their paths did not cross. Now, Mexico and the Aztec have not featured in these episodes, and they won't again. But it's here that we must sidetrack to talk about how the last emperor of the Aztec met his end. Cortes had decided that leaving Cuauhtémoc, the emperor in Tenochtitlan, was too great a risk. Remember, despite his lack of power, he still was the emperor. The Spanish had let him keep his title as part of their efforts to pacify the population. Because of this, he was a powerful symbol. When the Spanish were in Tenochtitlan in full force, Cuauhtémoc's presence gave the Aztecs some sort of pretense of having some kind of say. Left alone there, however, and instead of pacifying, his existence could have the opposite effect, give the Aztecs something to rally around. So Cortés took him along. The details and Cortés's rationale here are hazy and confused, 
But while in southern Mexico, on their way to Honduras, Cuauhtémoc was accused of trying to organise the insurrection in Tenochtitlan, which Cortés feared. How he would have done this, when so far away and effectively a prisoner, is unclear. But Cortés decided he was guilty, and had him killed. There would be no emperor crowned to replace him. Díaz de Castillo, normally a Cortés supporter, writes that the execution was unfair and that he opposed it. He also writes that even Cortés was haunted by guilt and had trouble sleeping afterwards. Before Cortés arrived in Honduras, there is another little interlude we must deal with. He was not the only outsider trying to bring order to the chaos. Over in Hispaniola, the government there had also been receiving sporadic messages and had decided to send someone to intervene. Now this is not a proper intervention, as they had no interest in trying to incorporate Honduras themselves into Hispaniola. As the oldest and most established bit of Spanish government in the New World, however, they felt the need to try and broker some sort of peace there. They sent a man named Pedro Moreno, and he was expecting to find some, or all, of Olid, de las Casas, González and Cordoba fighting it out. When he arrived, however, he found a beleaguered bunch of colonists with no real leadership in sight. He was appalled, and he persuaded the colonists to reject Cortés's jurisdiction and to adopt Cordoba, and by extension, Davila, as rightful leaders of their colony. Perhaps as Cortés's representatives had played such a large part in proceeding so far, whereas Davila's men had for the most part stayed out of it, he thought that they deserved to be in control, as they had done the least damage. I describe Moreno's arrival as an interlude, because it was pretty much irrelevant. Satisfied with his work, he left, ending Hispaniola's involvement in the story, and as soon as he did, the population promptly changed their mind and redeclared allegiance to Cortés. It was as if the whole thing had never happened. Except that Moreno had sent a message to Cordoba, telling him that the colony was empty of rivals, and that the population wanted him to come and take charge. So where previously, with the exception of that first battle against González, the Panama faction had contented themselves with Nicaragua, now they would be heavily involved in Honduras. So what we now have is effectively a two-way struggle between Cortés and his juniors and Davila and his juniors. Cortés makes the first move by arriving in Honduras soon after Moreno has left. He quickly set about taking control. Say what you want about Cortés, but he was remarkably effective at conquering territory and establishing effective control of them. He was helped by Sandoval, who of course we know from his involvement in the conquest of the Aztec, and then the Perepeture. Between them, they started to turn the colony around, pacify the indigenous people, and even conquer some new territory nearby. It was now time for the Panama faction to respond. But of course, that simple two-way struggle between the Panamanians and the Mexicans was far too simple for this story. So let's throw in some scheming and split that Panamanian faction 
down into two separate ones. When news of Cortes's arrival reached Rojas, he sent a friendly message and tried to establish good relations. Cortes did not want good relations, however, and he instructed Sandoval to go capture or expel Rojas from the region. Sandoval then went down to meet Rojas, but before any real confrontation could take place, Rojas was summoned by Cordoba, who was busy dealing with insubordination down in Nicaragua. This was not the only reason Cordoba had Rojas recalled, however. He had decided to follow that time-honoured tradition, established first by Cortes and then followed by Olid, and to mount an expedition to Honduras in his own name, rather than in that of his superior, Davila. Now, he didn't explicitly say this was what he was doing. He left himself a degree of plausible deniability. But he sent an army up to Honduras to try and establish control of some territory there. Upon arrival, however, Sandoval quickly heads it off and captures its leaders. He takes them back to Cortes, who interestingly chose not to take an aggressive stance. Instead, he provided them with supplies and sent them back to Nicaragua unharmed, where Cordoba was waiting. He also instructed them to pass a message to Cordoba, telling him that he should stay loyal to Davila. Cortes then judged that his work in Honduras was done, and along with Sandoval, headed back to Tenochtitlan. He left Honduras under the control of Hernando de Saavedra. Saavedra was one of Cortes's cousins, and like him was born in Extremadura. Unfortunately, I can't find much information about his life before this story, so like many of the other characters, he doesn't get a proper introduction. It appears that Saavedra was at least reasonably competent, and he continued Cortes's work by gradually expanding the reach of the colony into the surrounding country and founding new settlements. Meanwhile, down in Nicaragua, some people were starting to get suspicious of Cordoba and his loyalty to Davila. Among them is de Soto, who starts to investigate, but whose questioning of Cordoba's loyalty to Davila starts to get Cordoba questioning his loyalty. In the end, Cordoba had de Soto arrested and imprisoned. De Soto then managed to escape his imprisonment and flee back down to Panama. Davila realised that he had a serious issue on his hands and decided to travel up there to deal with it himself. Upon arrival in Nicaragua, he quickly had Cordoba arrested and executed for his treachery. He then announced that Cortes had no right to claim Honduras. Cortes being gone, he sent a message to Saavedra which outlined this position and told him to withdraw back to Mexico. He followed the message up with an army and started raiding the colonists in Honduras. This, of course, forced Saavedra to gather up his men and lead them down to confront him. When they met, the two men agreed to negotiate rather than diving straight into battle, and it was decided that the conflict would be delayed. They would both retreat for now. As soon as Saavedra had turned around, however, Davila reneged on the deal, and taking a two-pronged approach, he left some men there to found a new settlement, and took the rest with him to make that battle with Saavedra happen. 
The battle didn't happen, though, because the men he left behind managed to quickly anger the indigenous population, who rose up against them. The rebellion spread, and Davila was forced to turn back to deal with it before he reached Saavedra. When he got back to where he had left his men, he found most of them had been killed, and their settlement destroyed. Re-evaluating this new situation, he decided his best bet was to stay down at his settlement, rebuild it, and ensure that it became properly established. There were two ways of colonising Honduras, he decided. Beating his rivals in battle was of course one aspect of it, but de facto occupation was another. He needed a settlement to add strength to his claim. So far, we have seen the chaos caused by Spaniards in Honduras grow and grow, until it demands the attention and attendance of first Cortes then the government of Hispaniola, and finally Davila. But when these bigger players are still unable to establish order, even larger players are forced to turn their attention to what is happening in their name. At this point, the king had had enough. It was clear that he would have to take over the running of Honduras directly, and so he ordered our last major character to set off from Hispaniola and take control in his name. This man was Diego López de Salcedo. Now where there's treachery and undefined borders, there is also ambiguity, and it's possible for conquistadors to fight and stretch the meaning of their various royal charters. This is at the root of what's been happening here. Salcedo's arrival would make the situation unambiguous, and for all their self-interest, Cortés and Davila wouldn't dare risk going against the king. And so it was, Salcedo arrived, and after some initial protestation and reluctance from Saavedra, Salcedo did take over the colony and end the fighting. He sent Saavedra to Hispaniola. Salcedo had decided that he should face trial there. This was effectively the end of Cortes' involvement in Honduras. Meanwhile, Davila decided that his men should stray no further north than the outpost settlement they had just founded. And that should have been the end of the story. But of course, when seeking to curb the ambitions of all the players involved in this game, the king had not taken the ambitions of Salcedo into account. He had still not defined the exact boundaries between his Honduras colony and Davila's Nicaraguan one. Add to this the communication issues between the colony and Spain. The king's representative did not have time to ask for instructions when new situations came up. He just had to use his initiative, as it would take months for messages to go back and forth. Suddenly that unambiguous situation starts to look quite a bit more ambiguous. And just as they have throughout the conquest of the new world so far, people can start trying to use that ambiguity to their advantage. It started when Davila, unaware of the new developments, decided to have another crack at taking Honduras from Cortes. He sent a messenger to Saavedra with a demand that he leave, only for that messenger to find Saavedra gone and Salcedo there in his place. This prompted Salcedo to have a think about things and decide that actually Nicaragua 
is not explicitly part of Davila's Panama Charter, and in fact, it's quite a lot closer to Honduras than it is to the colony down there in Panama. Having largely been spared from the fighting in Honduras, Nicaragua was also in much better shape. So really, it should be part of his colony. It's what the king would have wanted, probably. As it turns out, we know that it wasn't what the king wanted, because the king had separately decreed what was to happen to Nicaragua. Whether Salcedo knew that or not is unclear. Davila would have, of course, opposed Salcedo's attempts to annex Nicaragua, no matter what. But now, he really, really opposed them, because his situation had changed. After his standoff with Saavedra, Davila had received some shocking news. The king had decided to replace him as governor of Panama. I can't really find much information about why this decision was made, although Davila was approaching 90 at this point, so maybe the king had decided that he was past it. Maybe he had simply annoyed the king too much in Honduras. For a brief period of a few months then, officially, Davila had no control of any land at all in the New World. However, he did manage to persuade the king that he had been the one who had made Nicaragua into a colony. So even if it was to lose Panama, Nicaragua should be separate and should be his. If Salcedo came and took it off him, he would be back to having nothing again. When Salcedo arrived in Nicaragua with his army, he found himself face to face with Davila at the head of a larger army, and he decided he'd better try and retreat. He was unable to do so, however, and Davila took him prisoner. Davila would not make the mistake that Olid had done with González and de las Casas, or that Cordoba had made with de Soto. He kept Salcedo safely locked away under harsh conditions, and in the end, Salcedo was imprisoned for around a year. Davila then started making demands that Honduras should be incorporated into Nicaragua. By now, a thoroughly exasperated king sent representatives to mediate between the two and to draw out a firm border between the two colonies. Eventually, an agreement was reached. This would effectively settle things and end the fighting that we've covered in these episodes. Honduras would remain a separate colony and this would end the argument about where its southern boundary was. Of course, the northern boundary with the D'Alvarado brothers' Guatemala colony, was still completely undefined. So guess what? We'll be returning to the problems that this causes in a future episode. Salcedo was released, and he returned to govern Honduras. After all that fighting, and all the different people who tried to control the colony, he had emerged as the last man standing, even if he hadn't done very well during his brief appearance in our story. He may have been the last man standing, but he didn't stand very long. His time in prison had been so difficult that it severely impacted on his health. He died about a year later, and was replaced by a new governor from Spain. So I guess you could argue that there was no last man standing, and that all participants in this fight lost. He may have taken some indirect comfort if he'd known that Davila himself 
died about a year later. He had spent his final couple of years in the city of Leon, in Nicaragua. I have personally found Davila to be one of the least likable of the conquistadors. Even among this class of ruthless and greedy men, he stands out as having those traits in a particularly large abundance. I have to admit that in the Panama episodes I found myself supporting Balboa against him. He was, however, very good at surviving, or perhaps very lucky. He had his ups and downs, but he not only managed to die of old age, something not very common among conquistadors, but he also managed to make that old age past 90. Another veteran of previous episodes, Sandoval, also died soon after leaving Honduras. After returning to Mexico with Cortes, he went to Spain, and on the journey over, he got ill. He died soon after arriving. He was in his early thirties. This is the end of the story of Cortes' other surviving representative as well, Saavedra. When we left him, he'd been sent to Hispaniola by Salcedo to face trial. He managed to avoid this by leading a mutiny on the boat taking him there, and once in control, he redirected it to Cuba. What happened to him afterwards is unknown, so I can't say whether he did ever face trial, or whether he was ever punished for the mutiny. I've seen it written that he died in 1545, about 15 years after these events, but I don't know where that was. Now remember how Gonzalez and de las Casas had set off for Mexico, after killing Olid, with the intention of finding Cortes? Well, Cortes had of course already left, and so when they arrived in Tenochtitlan, they found a relatively unknown conquistador had been left in charge there. Skeptical of the situation, they refused to accept that this man was Cortes's representative, and they declared themselves loyal to Cortes alone. In doing so, they were unwittingly being disloyal to Cortes, as this was the man he'd left in charge, and as a result, they were arrested and sent to Spain. Once there, the misunderstanding was cleared up, although they were also made to stand trial for the murder of Olid. They were both found guilty, but it appears that no punishment was ever given. They returned to Mexico, but Gonzalez died soon afterwards, in his mid-forties. De Las Casas had served Cortes faithfully in Honduras, and Cortes did not hold the Tenochtitlan mix-up against him. De Las Casas settled down on his encomienda in Oaxaca, and he lived a long and peaceful life there. The last person who emerged unscathed from Honduras was De Rojas. Later, he would go down to Peru to take part in the conquest there, but he did nothing of real note, so we probably won't run into him again. Cortes and De Soto were the only other survivors, but both will play parts in future episodes, so I won't finish their stories now. Next episode will be the last in this series on the conquest of Mexico. There are no more events to cover. Instead, it will be more of a roundup designed to highlight some of the things that I was unable to put into the main storyline, and to analyse the consequences of the conquest. You've been listening to the Latin American History Podcast, written and recorded by Max Sargent. 
For more information, visit the website www.maxargent.com slash the history of Latin America. And that's spelt M A X S E R J E A N T. If you have any comments or questions, feel free to get in contact at History of Latin America Podcast at gmail.com. You can also find the Facebook page by searching for the Latin American History Podcast. The Twitter handle is at History Latin AM. And if you've liked the show, you can help out by leaving a review on iTunes. Alternatively, if you visit the website, you'll see that each episode is accompanied by relevant photos. Most of these are my own, taken during my time in Latin America. All these photos and more are available to purchase as prints at my Etsy shop. You can find this at www.etsy.com slash photo. That's spelt www.etsy.com slash M-A-X-S-E-R-J-E-A-N-T photo. Thanks for listening. Hey, Drew Scott here, and I'm Jonathan Scott, reminding you that life's better with a home policy from American Family Insurance. They can help you get just the right protection at just the right price and help you save when you bundle home and auto. Kind of like Goldilocks and the Three Bears. It'll be just right for you. We love a custom build. American Family Insurance. Insure carefully. Dream fearlessly. Get a quote and find an agent at AmFam.com. Products not available in every state. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin.